What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The feds just opened up the spigot and are flooding the zone with money for water infrastructure upgrades. Good news, right? Well, on today's Parts Per Billion, we talk about why the tiniest water utilities in the country either don't care about this money or maybe don't even know it exists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. New York City has the largest water utility in America in terms of customers, serving more than 8 million people in the Big Apple and beyond. But for every big city utility out there, there are hundreds of smaller ones, some with fewer customers than a Manhattan high-rise has residents. These small utilities often have trouble keeping up with basic maintenance of their systems, let alone the capital costs of upgrading their infrastructure. And that's why the EPA has a huge grant and loan program designed to help water utilities pay for these upgrades. It's a hugely popular program that Congress, whether controlled by Republicans or Democrats, regularly allocates hundreds of millions of dollars to every year. And with last year's infrastructure bill now getting implemented, this water program is now flush with cash. But as we're about to learn, it takes money to be able to apply for and get this money. And for the smallest water utilities, that's money they don't have. Bobby McGill recently visited a few of these tiny water systems in rural and suburban New Mexico, and he found that this federal assistance is not trickling down to the neediest water systems. I brought him on the show to ask him why, but first I asked him to describe what these small New Mexico communities are like. So the first place I went um, was this little place called Llano Camado, New Mexico, which is near Taos. Incidentally, I used to live in Taos, so I I know the area pretty well, and I used to work for the newspaper there. It's, it's an area, you know, Taos is about 5,000, 6,000 people or so. It's a sort of a, a resort community, but um, it's also uh, an area that's heavily Hispanic um, and also uh, heavily Native American. And uh, it's a very fascinating place with a very complicated history. Um, and this is an area, Llano Camado is, is sort of south of Taos, and um, it's sort of on the mesa and up in the foothills of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains there. They've got a a few hundred people who live out there. Um, That region is relatively economically depressed. New Mexico really hasn't seen a lot of the, you know, more recent prosperity that almost every other Western state has seen. But this this community, um, it's very traditional and uh, it has some water challenges. It's the infrastructure there is is difficult because they're both drought stricken and they have, you know, they, they rely on well water. Um, it taps an aquifer that's also tapped by, you know, other homes that have, uh, that are able to just drill their own well. And so it's created a really odd, um, competition for water out there. Let's get into your story here because I mean, this was the lead of your story and what a lead it was. You were talking about how Yano Kamado has three wells and recently one of them started pumping sand instead of water. Like what happened there? Well, it was just a, a, a well that it was it was sort of in bad shape and it needed to be replaced up until recently they had three sources of water and now they have two and um it needs to be replaced 
Uh, but they also have um, other infrastructure challenges. They had pipes that needed to be replaced and uh, a number of other issues that they sort of all mount up. And um, they don't know if they're going to be able to tap any federal infrastructure funding, mainly because they don't really have they don't know uh, all the details about how to apply for it. That was the crux of your story here, which is that, you know, you would think that this uh, federal funding that just passed in the infrastructure bill last year would be a godsend to communities like Yano Kamado uh, that have all these infrastructure problems and a very, very small tax base. But your story, as it pointed out, showed that, no, this is not a godsend. This is actually not really helpful at all. Can you explain why that is? It's so counterintuitive. Well, it's complicated because... To some communities who are tapped into this, it could be a godsend. But the truth is that so this money is being uh, distributed through the EPA's state revolving funds. And these are these are big, you know, big pools of money that are used to give water utilities low, very, very low interest loans. Well, not just that, but also grants. And a good portion of this is is directed specifically to um, underserved communities. But the underserved communities are the ones least likely to be aware of this money and least likely to be prepared to uh, apply for it. In, in, in many cases, you, you have to have shovel-ready projects. And, you know, these, these small communities, and we're talking about thousands of water systems nationwide and just, in, you know, more than 400 in New Mexico alone, they don't have the resources to... Uh, they, they don't have the technical expertise, and a lot of these are a lot of these small syst- systems are run by volunteers. You know, so 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 things are complicated. They need technical assistance, some of which is available. But um, you know, part of the problem here is that the every state is different in how the money is distributed. So Congress gives this money um, to the states through the EPA, and um, every state gets a different amount of money based on a complicated met- uh, formula. And then it's up to each state to decide how to distribute that and set up the program to allow these uh, small water systems to apply. Now, this is an existing program that's been around for decades, but it's being flooded with money, which means that, um, you know, the states really have to sort of ramp up existing, you know, staffing and, and whatnot and technical assistance programs. And every one of those states is different in, in how um, it provides assistance for these communities. And so in New Mexico, um, as of early April, they hadn't really finished setting this up yet. They, they, they said that they plan to reach out to a lot of these communities, but there are a lot of communities that have a lot of dilapidated water systems that need a lot of help. And, you know, in many cases, when I called up these water systems, I was the first one to tell them about some of the, the this money was available to them. Wow, that's amazing. Is this something that's on the EPA's radar that these really, really tiny water systems don't even have the resources to be able to apply for the funding, let alone use the funding? EPA is totally aware of this. And uh, there was an um, infrastructure conference in, in Washington, D.C. towards the end of April. And, you know, one of their officials said, yeah, we're totally aware that people don't know about this. It's one of the biggest challenges we have. Um, and so they're providing, you know, they've got a pot of money for technical assistance, but it's it's limited. Um, and again, you know, this is a state, you know, de facto state run federal programs. And, uh, you know, so the EPA only has so much power to, to reach out to these communities. Your- 
your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, let's contrast Yano Kamada with another town that you visited called uh, Carnuel. Um, this is a town that's also pretty small. But it also happens to be geographically pretty close to a very large town, which is Albuquerque. Tell me about what's going on in Carnuel and how its proximity to Albuquerque is making it, you know, much easier to get these funds. So Carnuel is a really unique place. I mean, it's literally on the edge of Albuquerque. Like you drive a mile to the to the west and you're in the suburbs. Um, but this is a this is a place you know, that's sort of bisected by Interstate 40. And, um, you know, the pavement runs out in some of these neighborhoods. It's, um, you know, everything is, you know, a lot of these homes are really old adobe homes that that are sort of in the foothills of the, or actually they're sort of in the Sandia Mountains. They they did not have a community water system until recently. And so basically all the, all the homes there had their own wells, but the wells, because of the drought, the wells are running dry. And um, they needed to sort of pool their resources in a community water system. Well, they didn't have the resources to create the system. And so about a decade ago, they, um, you know, since they're on the edge of Albuquerque, they uh, were able to create a, a water system of their own um, by teaming up with uh, the Albuquerque Bernalillo County uh, Water Utilities Authority, which essentially became their fiscal agent. They were able to provide technical expertise that a lot of these other tiny water systems throughout the, the state and around the country don't have. The water system there is like, hey, you know, we're a success story because we're able to team up with, with Albuquerque. And even though we're small and we're low income, it's proximity to a big city that's helped us out. You spoke with uh, a water official there in Carnwell who talked about this very idea, his name was Moises Gonzalez. Let's hear from him. We are applying for that funding. Uh, it's very competitive given the needs of rural New Mexico as the rural needs of all of the, of the whole United States. And the thing is, is the infrastructure needs of that in rural communities outweigh the kind of funding that's out there in terms of infrastructure. It's a major challenge. 
And because we're partnered with one of the bigger uh, water authorities in the state, that helps us out. Uh, I feel more sorry for the for the water associations that are in rural communities in New Mexico that are made up like us, volunteer boards. But we're lucky. I guess we're one. We're potentially a successful story because we we partner with the city of Albuquerque, and that's a big big difference. So. I want to finish off by talking about a concept that you mentioned in your story called regionalization. And it plays into what Moises was just talking about. The idea that small water systems would either team up with each other and pool their resources and serve a larger regional area. Or in Carnwell's case, a small water system would team up with a much larger one nearby. It seems like this would be a solution to a lot of these problems, especially the ones in Yano Kamado. But it's very controversial. Can you just talk about why it's controversial and why this doesn't really work for everyone? Well, it's controversial for a lot of reasons. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of, I mean, this, this is something that this, the state of New Mexico is really advocating for because they know that a lot of these smaller systems just don't have the resources. They don't have the water, but it's, it's expensive because, you know, these water systems have to literally connect. They have to build pipes that pool their water resources. Um, but, you know, these small water systems also like to have control over their own, their own systems. And, uh, there you go. Yeah. um, and they all have different financial, uh, state, they're all in a different financial state and they all have, um, different interests. And, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of small town politics that, that play into this. Um, but you know, Yano Kamado is an interesting case and this was not in the story, but the system administrator there very much wants to um, regionalize, but his neighboring systems very much do not. And they're all friends, right? But, you know, they, there's, there's like, there's, there's trust issues and there's, again, small town politics play into this. Um, But at the end of the day, like, because they don't have the resources or the staffing, they don't, a lot of these systems don't even know who's going to, their administrators don't even know who's going to succeed them because they don't have a lot of interest there, but they still have, you know, they still have to provide clean water and they still have the safe drinking water act to, and other water laws to, uh, to comply with. Um, so regionalization is the, this, the state sees regionalization as the best way to do it. But I should, we should point, I mean, you know, people might be thinking, Oh, this is just a matter of pride that, you know, these local officials just want to hang, you know, cling on to the, to the power they have over their water systems. But it's, it's not, it might be partly that, but it's not just that. I mean, if you think back to Carnuel, you know, they're pretty reliant on Albuquerque for their water, which means that if Albuquerque wants to, you know, change the terms of their deal, they don't really have much leverage. I mean, this is the local officials giving up a lot of their power, giving up a lot of their sovereignty over how they run their own communities. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, you know, this is true in in, in these more far-flung places as well, because, I mean, you know, again, some of these systems are extraordinarily remote and, you know, they might have to connect with systems that are really far away with different interests, different, you know, different uh, environmental factors. They one area might have more water than the other. And, you know, and, and again, the financial situation for each of these systems, they, that has to be reconciled when they when they uh, regionalize. So things are really complicated. Um, and uh, but I think probably ultimately, you um, there's going to be a lot more of that going on because I think you're going to find that a lot of these systems just don't have a choice in the end. All right. Well, that was Bobby McGill uh, speaking to us about his recent trip to New Mexico. Bobby, thank you so much for talking. Yeah, you bet. 
And that'll do it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment, just that, at environment. I'm at David B. Schultz. That's B as in New Mexico's very own Better Call Saul. What a great show. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. Today's episode of Parts for Billing was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts for Billing was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle, and it is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. The killers of Berta Caceres had every reason to believe they'd get away with murder. Her work as an environmental activist won her the admiration of celebrities in California, politicians in Washington, and the indigenous communities she worked alongside in Honduras. It also earned her powerful enemies. On a new podcast from Bloomberg Green, Blood River follows a four-year quest to find Berta Caceres' killers. Join journalist Monty Real and the team from Bloomberg Green as they untangle false leads and mishandled evidence, taking listeners deep into a sector of international development that's marked by high-level corruption and rampant violence. Blood River debuts Monday, July 27th on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.